<laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I'm comfortable yet? Yeah, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm completely okay in my own skin, brother. It's all right. Now, but the church I grew up in, they were not okay with that at all. There would have been no laughter because following God is serious business. There is no room for that kind of thing in church. Or if there was room for that kind of thing, then it only happened in a little segment. Certainly not when we were going to the preaching part. Like maybe we could play a game like Better with a Beard. Maybe that would be okay. Probably not in the church I grew up. But then, you know, when it got to the serious stuff, when we started talking about God, then everything got really serious. I want to let you all know today, I'll just tell you in advance that we're going to laugh a little bit. We're going to talk about playfulness. We're going to talk about laughter. I'd like to say hello to everybody that is meeting over in the family room over there too. Can I get a what, what? Everybody say hello to them. So if I did that in the church that I grew up in, I would have been severely reprimanded uh, because there was just no space for that at all. Also, the thing that they would have no space for is my morning routine. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about my morning routine. My morning routine is frivolous in the minds of the people that I grew up with in church. Because I wake up in the morning and I make myself some coffee. I make my wife some coffee. I, I bring the coffee to her bedside while she's still asleep. Put a little cup of coffee there. Isn't that great? You like that? Man, I just set you up for failure for the, for the rest. Give her her coffee. I make breakfast. I, I saute some vegetables and, and I get some, some sprouted grain bread and I put some avocado on it and I enjoy this breakfast. I sit there and I enjoy it for a long time. I have a bowl of fruit. Maybe I peruse Facebook. I see what's happening in the world of my friends and then I go out for a walk. And, and this walk is not just an ordinary walk. It takes me an hour uh, to do this walk. And I, I kind of walk and half jog. And I don't really run anymore because, number one, I don't really enjoy running. And uh, number two, my, my knees are really bad. So I do this fast walking kind of thing because I want to get some exercise. And, and I talk to the animals when I'm doing this. I take, I take a cue uh, from St. Francis of Assisi who said, if you're going to preach the gospel to all creation, that it includes the animals. And so I'm talking to bunnies and I'm talking to birds and I'm talking telling them the great things that, that God's been doing in my life, and I listen for their, their songs, and sometimes I go on this walk with my wife, and she hears me asking the birds to tell the songs about Jesus, and if you walk by me on the trail and you see this going on, you're going to think I'm, a, I'm an absolute loon, uh, and, but the people that I grew up with, the church that I grew up with, uh, they would say that that was totally unacceptable, not because I was talking to animals, although they probably would have an issue with that too, but this whole routine takes me about three hours before I even get into work in the morning, I'm having all this fun. And they would think that that was time wasted because the work of God is serious business. There's no room for play. There's no room for laughter when we're talking about God. It's all work. But I think the Bible tells us a different story. I think it tells us a much different story. And the opposite of play, the opposite of play is not work. It's misery. And I don't know about you, but I think that we are invited into something much, much bigger than misery. Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life. Abundant life does not feel like misery. What if God is inviting us into something like a playground? 
What if, what if God is inviting us to play with him in, into a giant sandbox? What if, pick, what if there's a picture in scripture of that? Would that rock your world? I think that for some of us, we don't, talk about playing with God is so foreign to us for, for a myriad of different reasons, but, but mostly just because we don't know the rules, just because we don't know. And maybe we ask questions like, does the Bible even say anything about God playing? Well, I think that we need a good, solid theology of playfulness and of laughter. And when I talk about theology, I'm talking about it in two different ways. There's the static kind of theology, which is the studying that we do about God. It's the book learning. It's the, it's the know-how. It's the get-to-know-God better kind of knows, you know, studying your Bible with a pencil and commentaries. And there, there's that part of theology. And then there's an active, there's a static and there's an active or a dynamic part of theology, which is the things that we believe about God, how do those play out in real life? And I think that God sometimes wants to give us a little bit of spanking on, on both accounts, on our overall theology, uh, uh, you know, what we believe about him and then the way that that plays out. Orthodox tradition and Franciscan tradition has had a longstanding history uh, of understanding what the Bible says about uh, this theology of playfulness and laughter. Uh, there's a German theologian, his name's Cuscelli, says, uh, theology of laughter is not about giving laughter the occasional function of letting a breath of air into the church, but about giving it a fundamental right to a place and talk of God. Long ago, when monks used to gather and they would sing and they would be in the choir lofts and they would stand for hours on end listening to somebody teach. Somewhere along the line, what, one monk was feeling a little bit snarky and a little bit playful. And he began, to, he began to say, you know what, guys? Hey, I don't want to stand up here for so long. It's just so devastating. We should start making little benches on the back of these things so we can, we can kind of rest our rump here. And then people think we're standing and they think we're pious and they think we're really holy for this entire time. And so they started making these little things that, that folded down. They called them misericords. And then, and then these misericords, because they were feeling especially playful, they began to carve things because they were like junior high boys, these monks. And they used to carve things and and. It, Funny, funny pictures, and some of them were great wood carvers, and they, they were, you know, pictures of like nuns passing gas and anything to pass the time, and anything that they thought was really funny. These things, you can get tens and thousands of dollars for these misericords today. The church actually, at one point, started employing people to carve things into these misericords so that, so that the monks could have a good time. There's a long-standing tradition of not taking ourselves too seriously uh, in the church, but, but that didn't always always make it over into the Western church. Uh, a lot of that happened in the European church. I grew up in a really fun house. Man, my fun, my, my, there was so much fun to be had in my house. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of playfulness. And then my parents started following Jesus. And it all changed. And the pendulum swung. And my dad lit all of his good albums on fire that he went out and replaced. Now he, he has them back. Uh, but he, he lit everything on fire and we threw away the TV and threw away the paper and, and everybody got super serious about their walk with God. And it was, it was a miserable environment. And they used to take us, I, I, I found Jesus when I was nine years old. My neighbor took me to church and I started going to, to this one church where I was having, having a great time getting to know God. 
And then my parents met up with a group of people, and they decided they were going to start a church in Forest Hill. And, and so they used to drive us an hour every day up to Forest Hill. And I'm pretty sure that it, written in the bylaws of this church uh, were things like, uh, stare straight ahead. Uh, do not make a sound. Listen to the preacher. He's going to go on for two, maybe three hours, depending, depending on how the Holy Spirit is working that day. And then deny that feeling of hunger inside your stomach, young man. There is a potluck that is coming right around the road. That potluck's going to last for a couple of hours. And then behold, night church is on its way. And yea, verily I say unto you that you will enjoy night church for another two or three hours. And if you get out of line, if you turn from to the right or you turn to the left, if you breathe, if you poke your brother, if you chuckle, you are getting the holy backhand of the Lord administered by the hand of your mother and it is coming down from heaven on high. I, had, I never saw it written. I never saw it written but I'm pretty sure those were the rules. I remember the day that I brought a football to church and I, I tossed it to my friend in the parking lot and next thing I knew I can still feel the ringing in my left ear. I got smacked upside the head not by my dad, not by my mom but by one of the elders in the church because in this church they had given the elders the authority to raise all the children in that church and so uh, I can still hear it ringing. And I was told, I was told there, there is no place for that. There is no place for that on a Sunday in the Lord's house. And then there was the time that maybe, maybe this was a little bit different. Like the, the time I took the communion cups, uh, the little plastic ones, and I, I licked the juice out of them. I used to call them spiritual shooters. And I, 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 I licked the juice out of the bottom of them and I stuck them into my eyes. And I, I walked around the church with the communion cups. Maybe that was inappropriate. Maybe it was inappropriate the time that I, I took the baby Jesus from the manger scene and replaced him with E.T., the extraterrestrial. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was a little bit out of line, but I, but I am here to tell you, regardless if, if that was out of line or not, the punishment that I had to endure was so severe for those things. We took ourselves way too serious. I want to go back to that time and actually have a, have a little talk about that manger scene with the pastor. I wish I could. I wish I could tell him that how theologically incorrect the whole manger scene was in the first place. I wish I could say, you got a problem with E.T.? I have a problem with three wise men because I think that there were more that showed up than that. And by the way, by the time they got there, Jesus was about two years old, the Bible says. And so he probably wasn't even in the manger at that time. And the manger looked nothing like this. And there wasn't snow on the ground because Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. He was probably born sometime around April. I wish I had the wherewithal at that time to be able to say those things. But that would have been snarky. And that would have got me in trouble. And that wouldn't have been good. There are reasons that some of us don't laugh in church much. Uh, maybe you had that kind of an upbringing, and it's scary. You just think the holy hand uh, of your mother is going to reach out and smack you upside the head at any moment. Your mom doesn't even have to be sitting by you. It's magical. Boom. It just comes out of nowhere, and you're, you're afraid to laugh in church. Or, or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. And maybe your days before you met Jesus we're so raucous, we're so rough, we're so full of drugs and alcohol and, and things that you don't want to remember that it's hard for you to wrap your head around any kind of celebration because you came to Jesus at a time when life 
got super serious, and the learning curve is way more steep for you. I have a ton of friends like that, and actually, my mom and dad were those people. They are, they are some of the most fun-loving, laughter-filled people today, and they wish they could go pay, back and take back those early years. It was a steep learning curve for them. Or maybe you heard somewhere along the line uh, from a religious teacher, Sunday school teacher, maybe it was just kind of, uh, you just observed this, that there's, there's spiritual life, and then there's everyday life. You know, our everyday life is out there. It's, it's work, and it's play, and it's with family, and then, and then there's the part of our, our spiritual life. It's here. How's your, how's your walk with Jesus? And your walk with Jesus is something that happens here. Well, I, I, that's a lie. There's no difference between everyday life and the spiritual life. If Jesus is part of your life, you have life. You have life with Jesus, or you have life without Jesus. But you don't have a spiritual life and an everyday life that you can draw a line between. That's pure doo-doo, and that's Greek for doo-doo. Maybe it's our familiarity with passages uh, that are not funny at all. Maybe the only Bible passages that we memorized growing up were the ones that had no humor in them. They're, they're true, but maybe they were the only ones that we, that we learned or we took to heart or we memorized, put in our memory bank, like the wages of sin is death, or all of us have turned away, each one has gone away uh, or turned to his own way like sheep, we've gone astray. Or maybe verses like it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. The Bible says all those things, but maybe you are in a home that that's all you knew. Those were the only verses you knew. You didn't know that God was perhaps inviting you into something much bigger than that. But somewhere along the line, somewhere we bought a lie. In the Middle Ages, it was a dark, brooding, yucky time in Christianity. It's a stain on the church. And man, I wish we could take that back. And, and all of art uh, was dark and religion was oppressive during that time. And then we saw, we saw the swing uh, with the Renaissance, with the European Renaissance, and art began to change, and, and colors began to change, and people began to smile in oil paintings, and, and things like clowns, and, and jesters, and jokers, and tricksters that were once vilified by the church, uh, then in the Renaissance were actually employed by the church. And we saw churches having, you know, jester ministry, or puppet ministry, or clown ministry, and things uh, of that nature. Uh, but the West has always been in this, in this weird time. Sure, the pendulum has swung a little bit. In the 60s and 70s, I think there was a glimmer of hope. If you were around then, if you were a Jesus follower in the 60s or 70s, uh, there was a magazine called The Wittenberg Door. Um, my family did not allow me to have The Wittenberg Door. Get this, here's the humor. I used to hide The Wittenberg Door under my mattress. When other boys were hiding other things under their mattresses, I was hiding magazines that laughed about church and allowed us to uh, not take ourselves uh, so seriously. And we saw the pendulum swing in the 90s. There was a whole movement of, of holy laughter in the church. And, and, and I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I, I, remember, I remember seeing one preacher uh, preach, uh, and I think the only thing he said for an hour was, let that joy bubble out your belly. Let that joy bubble out your belly. Let that joy bubble out your belly. It was a reaction to something. I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but I get the reaction because I could imagine the environment that he grew up in. 
I started to get caught up in this boring walk with Jesus once upon a time. There was, there was just a period of time when I just started Bible college where I thought, I thought what it meant to follow Jesus uh, was something that had no place for playfulness or laughter. And I am thankful that people and, and God rescued me out of that. I think when the supreme knowledge, the quest for that and the quest for godly perfection and the quest uh, for having our lives be so tidy is done uh, is while sacrificing relationships with others and sacrificing our relationship with God, then it's no longer become about God. When it becomes about the rules, being tidy, perfection, it has completely become about us. It has completely become about our own image of ourselves. And I think that God is calling us to something much, much different. We did this thing called phone in the face over the last few weeks, and we showed some of those here. We'll probably do more episodes and put those things on Facebook. Uh, But I I had fun reading the comments on Facebook when we posted those out there on the Lakeside Facebook page. Most people said, and and if you didn't catch phone in the face, it was me running around and and rudely sticking a a phone into the face of all of my coworkers and then asking them really, uh, uh, you know, tough questions that they had to answer on the spot. And it was fun, and we all had a playful time, and it was good to get to know the staff, find out what was happening during the week, and most people caught that on Facebook. Some people absolutely did not, and some people uh, wanted to challenge and wanted to start a fight on Facebook and say things like, seriously, is this what church is all about? Listen, I'm going to say something to you right now, by the way. You will never win an argument on Facebook, ever. (laughs) You can start them. You can play along if you want. You are never, raise your hand, I will not win an argument on Facebook. Say it with me. Okay. So why do we do that? So I just deleted the comments that came in that were nasty. They were just, they were not fun. It was, a, it, one, one guy put a comment out there. He said, seriously, do we really do this in church? My answer is this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because God is calling us to abundant life. And if something is funny out there, it's funny in here. If I could put that video on YouTube and everybody could laugh and think it's playful, then I can show it in church because it's fun and it's playful. There's no distinction between those two things. Now, is humor ever bad? Sure. I mean, humor uh, can turn into humiliation, making fun of people, uh, putting people in an awkward situation, making light of sin. Of course, those things can be, those can be horrible. Uh, We had to come up with a little saying in our house when we were raising our kids when they were real young where we'd say, that's funny, but that's inappropriate because sometimes things are absolutely funny, but there's, but it's inappropriate. Like all of the times that I went to my son's uh, parent-teacher conferences, we had to have this conversation after because uh, all of the teachers will tell me how how he wanted to be the class clown, uh, but he was very inappropriate and everything that he did was not funny. And then I would sit there as a dad and I would listen to them tell me all of the things that my son did in class, and I would have to try not to laugh because they were extremely funny, but they were inappropriate. 
right? Because, because he, was, he, was mess- he wasn't paying attention to the teacher. He was causing disruption in class. So the time where my son walked up to the board, as his teacher tells me, and be- asked him to do, uh, you know, finish a problem, and my son went up to, to the front of the class, and he said, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I do not know the answer to this problem on the board behind me, but I can do the robot. That was funny. That was funny, but it was inappropriate. We are usually, though, we're more concerned usually with what is not acceptable than what is acceptable. And God is inviting us, I think, into a much greater freedom and playfulness than we allow ourselves to have. So does the Bible say anything about playfulness? Does God laugh? Oh, yeah. We'll look at a few of those. There's there's the sarcastic part of God. Uh, where he uses humor, like where, where Jesus says things to groups of people like religious leaders who were trying to tell him that everything he was doing was wrong and was not appropriate. He had words for them that he called out loud like whitewashed tombs. That was funny. Jesus, uh, we get this picture in Psalm 2 of God getting angry, uh, but before he gets angry, he laughs on his throne when he looks over all creation and everybody thinks that they have it all together and that they can do no wrong. And the Bible says that God sits on his throne and he laughs. You silly kids. I mean, seriously, you think you're going to pull one over on me? We have that side of God's humor. And then we have Jesus and the children, which is, which is so playful. Like, do, do kids like to hang around people who are boring and miserable? No. So don't picture that Jesus was miserable and boring when these kids were hanging. They were always all over him. Imagine kids climbing all over Jesus, tugging at his robe, jumping on his back and, and pulling his hair and his beard and running under his robe like he's a clothing rack at Nordstrom's. Like kids are all over Jesus all the time. And people were watching this. What? What is going on? Keep the children away from Jesus. Want me to do that again? And Jesus said, seriously, let these kids come to me. And as a matter of fact, if you don't get some of what they have, then there's no place for you. You have to come to me like a child. C.K. Chesterton has this great uh, part of his writing where he talks about God making creation so playful. It's like, it's like us doing something funny with our kids, uh, like with my grandkids when I put a napkin over my head and I stuff it in my mouth and, and I do Mr. Napkin Head and, and they laugh and then it falls off and they say, do it again, and then I do it again, and then, do it again, and we could go for hours. And Chesterton says that God even made creation with, with the sunrise for us as kids to watch it rise and watch it fall and say, do it again, do it again. Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. Matthew 21, kids are running all around the temple. They're running around church where everybody thinks everything is supposed to be proper. And the religious leaders say, aren't you going to stop this? And they're shouting out names to Jesus. And they're, they're actually praising Jesus. And Jesus says to them, he quotes Psalm 8. And he says, haven't you ever heard the scripture that out of the mouth of children he has ordained praise? And they get angry. You know why they get angry at him? Because he doesn't quote the second part of the verse. But they knew what the second part of the verse was. The second part said, to silence the foe and avenger. Jesus was being funny. He was always eating and he was drinking. He was always at dinner parties. He was always wedding crashing. 
And, uh, and they did not like this. They called him a drunkard. They called him a glutton. Nobody ever saw him drunk. Nobody ever saw him puking out his guts at the end of the all-you-can-eat buffet seafood line. Nobody ever saw anything like that. But because Jesus was hanging out with people who were having a good time, they had nasty names for him. And Jesus one-ups it. His first miracle is at a wedding. He turns water into wine. And not only does he turn the water into wine, but he turns it into the best wine at the party. How do we know this? Because the Bible tells us. Because they took that wine to the guy who was leading this party, and they said, what do you think about this? And he was doing the tasting to make sure everything was fine, and it's at the end of the party when Jesus does this. And and he says, why did you save the best wine for last? Don't you know that we are supposed to give the most potent best wine at the beginning of the party? And then when everybody's had too much, then we bring out the two-buck chuck and we fool them all? Don't you know that's how it's supposed to go? Jesus made the best wine at the party. God is doing funny things uh, throughout Scripture like giving really old ancient people babies. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth looking forward to the coming of John the Baptist. They're, they're really old, and Zechariah, the priest, hears this, and he says, Are you kidding me? Do you know how old I am? Do you think this is going to happen to my family? And God says, I know, it's funny, right? Yeah, just keep on laughing, because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take away your laughter and your voice for the next nine months, and you won't be able to say a word. <laughs> for nine months, Zechariah can't say anything until John the Baptist is born and God has the last laugh. Abraham and Sarah, uh, two uh, older people in scripture who also, God comes to Abraham. He says, you're going to be a a father of nations. And Abraham says, what are you kidding? Have you seen my wife? Do you know how old we are? And and then uh, Sarah hears this this word and Sarai at that time, she hears this and she says, are you kidding? Have you seen that old coot? Do you think there's, there's no way, there's no way this is going to happen. And God indeed gives them a baby, and he changes their name. Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah. And one commentator has even suggested, and I think this is so funny to think about, that God created an onomatopoeia. You know, those are the words, remember, if you go back to your school days, the, like meow is a word that sounds like what's happening, or wolf is the, it sounds like. So God puts Oz in Abram, he makes him Abraham, and Sarai, he makes Sarah. Ah. Ah, 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 ah. I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but I like to pretend that's exactly the kind of thing that God would do because he does that kind of thing. And so there was so much laughter and God bringing that to fruition. And then we have uh, things like creation. Oh my goodness, the spirit of God hovering over the waters of creation. The spirit, the pneuma, the breath, the air, the Holy Spirit hovering over the water. What happens when breath, air is hovering over water? Well, it stirs, right? And so waves are moving back and forth. And God the Father, he's working with the Holy Spirit and the Son in this creation. And he's causing waves and he's moving mountains. And he's making man out of the dirt. And what happens when you're mixing the, the dirt with the water? God is making mud pies in creation. He is being very playful. And you and I, as his sub-creators, as his little creators, he wants to partner with us to do those kinds of things. 
One of my favorite uh, verses in scripture we're going to actually put up on, uh, on the screen here, and I'm going to read this for you. In Psalm 104, there is the sea vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro in Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. That's the NIV version, if you're reading the Bibles that are in, in the chairs with you. And then if we look at the message, I love the way that Eugene Peterson says this. Look at the end. Ships plow those waters and Leviathan, your pet dragon romps in them. As a Game of Thrones fan, I I am especially attracted to this. Your pet dragon. God has a pet? God made Leviathan a giant sea monster to roam around in the sea so so he could play with this monster? That's the exact picture that we get of God playing with creation throughout all of scripture. And after he made creation, the Bible says that he rested from it. But he didn't rest because he was exhausted. He rested to recreate, to recreate. He was observing the holiday, the holy day, where he sat back and he enjoyed everything that he made. And so for you and I, on the Sabbath, on the holy day, on the Shabbat, it is a time where we allow and we trust God to work out that kind of playfulness in our lives. If you are walking around a, a, a culture, a, a Jewish culture, like in New York today, if there's a large concentration of Jewish people, it's, it's so fun. I've seen this happen where you walk around on the Sabbath and you could hear them saying to one another, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, and they repeat it to one another, and they say it with a smile on their face. And the whole idea of Shabbat Shalom is peaceful Sabbath, enjoyable Sabbath, playful Sabbath. And you would think that, that maybe they would have these rules that are, that are very stringent and very strict. And, and no, it's quite the opposite in the Hebrew culture. In, in the Jewish culture, it's quite the opposite. Shabbat Shalom is one of play. They even say things uh, like, like sex are not only uh, okay, but you should do it on the Sabbath. Because the whole idea of that is uh, for a married couple to think about somebody else for, for a change. To put themselves aside. To make someone else happy. And so Shabbat Shalom all you want on the Sabbath. God says that that is, that is absolutely a, a good thing. And that is playful. There are signs all over the house that I'm staying in right now uh, that are playful. Um, Cindy Dixon, I'm staying at her house right now. She's been gone for a few days. And uh, while we're waiting to get in the house uh, with this move over here. And I have been laughing at all these signs around her house. Uh, even her soap dispensers say something about laughter. Like in, in each bathroom, they say something about laughter. And there's, there's a sign in the hallway that says, uh, I laughed so hard that tears ran down my leg. I, I... <laughs> now, why is it? Why is it that we can see those kinds of things in Pier 1, or we can see those things at Walmart, or we can see those things at somebody's home, but for some reason we think we, we can't be silly and playful with those things here. Listen, you guys, God is inviting us into something much bigger than our stuffy, grumpy, miserable walk with him. He never intended for it to be that way. He intended it to be liberating and full of freedom and full of laughter and full of playfulness. So what does that mean for us here in this environment? It means that, yeah, we're not going to be silly all the time, but certainly there's a place to be silly here. 
It means that we're going to try things that we've never tried before in this environment. And we're going to sing songs that, that, that maybe uh, you wouldn't think necessarily would always be sung in church. You know, maybe we're going to do a song by the Doobie Brothers. And maybe churches all across the land aren't doing a song by the Doobie Brothers today. But doggone it, it's okay if we do it. Because it's playful and it's, and it's not irreverent at all. And we're going to do things like we've done with communion where we change it up and we have different expressions of communion. Different ways to meet with God. And we're going to try interactive, imaginative, playful things in this environment because God is worth that. He's worth our very best imagination because you and I are living in the middle of a story and it is a sin to bore anybody with that story. For all of my friends, for all of your friends that wonder what it's like to go to church, it is a sin to bore them with a miserable, miserable story. God came to give us life, and he came to give it more abundantly. He didn't come to give us whininess or workaholism or a twisted view of what it means to please him or falsehood or selfishness or, or broken relationships. No, that's, that's a, if you don't play, that's what you get. If, if you have problems in your relationships right now, I think God would say to you, you've forgotten how to play. But... What's the fallout or what's the byproduct of playfulness and and laughter and freedom and trying to understand that part of the God talk? Well, you have good relationships. You have dreams. You have possibilities. You have energy. You have conversation. You have teachability. Because you don't don't work a a piano. You play it. And and God is inviting us into something that he is orchestrating that is very musical and it's very danceable. And he wants us to enter the play with him. Uh, Plato said that you discover more about a person in an hour of play than you do in a year of conversation. I think those are very, very good words. What if instead of you can't outwork me, our, our sayings became or our cries became, you can't outplay me. Hope, what the world desperately needs, what God wants to inject into the middle of pain is playful. Hope has a smile. We cannot offer hope if we don't learn how to smile, if we don't learn how to breathe. Breathe in the Spirit of God. Breathe out the Spirit of God. If we don't learn how to be playful. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of those passages in Scripture, God, where where you invite us into something much bigger than doom and gloom. You are in the business of restoring us. You're in the business of making us new. You're in the business of reviving us. And we love you. And we want, <laughs> we do want that joy to bubble out our belly, God. There's things, there's things to laugh about. Certainly there's things to cry about. There's a myriad of things to cry over. Lord, we want perspective We want to hear from you in all of those moments in the most desperate, hopeless places, God. We want to be surprised by hope. Thank you for smiling on us. Thank you for what your word says. Thank you for singing over us, as you say in your word. Those are great words. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you.